Okay, very warm welcome to one and all to the Peace Alliance monthly action call for March 2021. My name is Dan Kahn. I'm the National Field Coordinator for the Peace Alliance. And for those of you who are listening to this as a recording, um, if you're listening to this as a Peace On podcast, I want to let you know that Peace On aims to offer inspiring conversations and information toward enhancing awareness, well-being, and effective engagement with the larger community. And Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance. Now you know that. Um, and that's a, probably a good reminder. You know, if you enjoy what you hear um, this evening and you want to share it with others or listen to it later, it's all going to be available on the Peace Alliance website on the Peace On tab. Um, okay, so the plan for this evening, we've got a panel of educators uh, who will be introduced momentarily by our um, Peace Building in Education Council lead, Yelena Popovich. Um, is Kendra in? Kendra is here. I, I see her somewhere. I've seen her. So oh, okay. I, I'm just letting people know I'm on. This is Beth Flick. Hi, Beth. Welcome. St. Paul. Great. Oh. Great to have you with us. Um, oh, great. So, yeah, after we uh, hear from our panel, we'll have a chance for some question and answers and discussion on the topics uh, that are brought up. We'll talk about a monthly action for March that we'd like to encourage folks to take. Um, and we'll hear an update from Nancy Merritt on the Department of Peacebuilding Committee. And after that, we'll have a chance for shares from the field. And that's all of you. If you've got some activism, some organizing, some announcements, anything that you'd like to let us know about in your neck of the woods, um, that'll okay. be- Okay, yeah, I would. Great. So we'll, we'll have some time for hopefully to hear from everybody who's interested in, in sharing. Um, so that's the plan for the next 55 minutes or so. Um, and now I'd like to welcome our, uh, my, my cohort on the Peace Alliance Leadership Council, Yelena Popovich. It's my pleasure to work with Yelena. Um, she's a very accomplished educator and she offers a lot of resources and tools um, for educators around the world. Um, before I hand it over to her, what I wanna invite folks to do um, during the presentation this evening is think about the educators that are in your lives. Think about teachers that you know, maybe in your family or among your friends, or maybe they've taught you, maybe they have taught your children. Um, when you hear about these resources, I encourage you to consider, are there people in your lives who might benefit from some of these tools, from being aware of what's available out in the world? And maybe make a note of what you hear about, um, or you could go back to the podcast and listen to the recording and share it. Um, so yeah, think about how you can put some of this stuff into action to support the educators that are in your life. Um, and now I'll pass it over to Yelena. Welcome, Yelena. Thank you, Dan. Welcome, everyone. Yeah, thank you all for being here tonight or this afternoon, whatever that falls uh, for you. And for all of you that are listening uh, think on the piece on, thank you for um, joining us and listening to this very dear um, topic of mine. Um, yeah, and um, I'm just um, have, I, I just have a request for folks to uh, please, um, 
mute your microphones um, as we are um, as we start talking. So that way uh, we will be hearing from uh, our guests. Thank you all. Yeah, and before we start, um, the invitation is really to pause. We'll talk a lot more tonight about the importance of pause, the importance of um, being in community. And um, a lot of our educators have been in a community and created community um, in the last year in some of the really difficult conditions. So they were able to do that. So I'm inviting you all to just stake, to honor all the work that these um, beautiful people are doing and have done um, with three deep breaths. And just to kind of pause together and honor their work and honor our children and families with a pause. You may want to, as you inhale and exhale, invite some gratitude, some peace and unity into this community and exhale anything any worry, anxiety. Stress. Thank you. Welcome. And it was important for Dan and I to invite this call into March of May because March, month of May, month of March, that's what I was trying to say, month of March, because it has been a year since um, the pandemic and since our educators have been doing very uh, hard and innovative things. So we wanted to um, invite that and invite you all to listen to some of the educators and what they have been learning and what are their learnings, what are their yearnings, and what are their longings for what comes next. Um, so yeah, so I uh, want to introduce you to, and as I call the names and the short bios, and you can read their long biographies on, um, on our site, but as I call the names, if you just don't say hi and wave, that would be lovely. I wanna invite Linda Raiden, who is the creator of Peace of Mind Curriculum Series, um, combining social and emotional learning, conflict resolution and social justice education for elementary and middle school students. Welcome, Linda. And I wanna invite dear friend Kelly Love, that is a global leader in mindfulness and education field, a trainer, a mentor, and a filmmaker promoting yoga and mindfulness in schools. Welcome, Kelly. 
And I want to invite wonderful EJ Anderson, who is the executive director of OnTrack Greenville, South Carolina, a town where I live at the United Way of Greenville, um, bringing his distinguished experience as a phenomenal middle school principal, uh, embracing mindfulness into efforts at addressing poverty and ensuring student success. Welcome, EJ. Yeah, and I just invite three of you to just share uh, from your heart what are your learnings, your yearnings, and your longings? What do you want public? What do you know? What do you want this peace building community to know about your work and about how they can support you and support students you are serving? And anybody can go. I'll start with. Um just a little bit about myself and how um, I've gotten to this point in my career and um, really engaging around this very critical work. Um, so On Track Greenville, as uh, Ms. Popovich mentioned, is an initiative based out of Greenville, South Carolina, and it brings in a collective community to support the students um, in Greenville County. Greenville County is a very large district. There's um, 77,000 students, the 40th largest district in the country. Um, and our program for the last six years has served the highest poverty schools in the county. There's about 4,000 students um, that, that make up the three middle schools and three high schools that are, again, the most racially diverse as well as highest poverty. Um, for those of you that know Greenville, um, it's made all these Forbes lists, the best retirement places. Um, it's on international lists. It's an amazingly beautiful place. Um, it's awesome, right? But the other side of Greenville is that it's very heavily gentrified. Um, and it's one of the worst cities for economic mobility for poor, um, for, for, for poor. Uh, about three, you have about a 3% chance of making it out of poverty if you're a black male. And if you are in poverty, just in general, um, you have about a 5% chance of getting out after a 30 year study was done on economic mobility. So you're really stuck. You're born into poverty, you're stuck in poverty. Um, and that again, is one of the lowest um, uh, areas in the country. So you have these two things happening simultaneously. And so trying to address poverty in an area that is overwhelmingly successful it's challenging, right? So it calls for some innovative <laughs> strategies. And so what we do is kind of mobilize resources in the community to meet the needs of students. Um, we focus on students, we focus on family and community support, and we focus on teacher support. Some of the normal student supports that we implement include case management, summer programming that focuses on social emotional learning. We put a mental health specialist in each of the schools we support, and we put healthcare services that takes care of acute care as well as vaccinations. This year has been challenging, of course, um, given COVID. Um, I finished my school year last year as a principal. And so I was on the ground closing out a school year, really in the midst of all of that. And it was it was good for me to feel that, right? Going into this role as, as, a, as a leader in the community to be able to provide support for those schools. I was actually a principal at one of the schools that I now serve through this community. Um, initiative. Um, this year, of course, we faced, 
we faced the technology gap where a lot of our students didn't have access to the internet. So we had to get very creative about how to raise funds and get support for providing over 300 mobile hotspots for students in our schools. Um, in terms of equity, oh my goodness, um, we're, we're serving schools with you know 50% Hispanic populations, um, 30 to 40% black populations. And then we have a social and racial injustice happening you know, on the, on the forefront of COVID. And so we were able to quickly um, mobilize an equity strategist and coach to come in and really talk to and train staff this year to be able to be, and be ready to receive students when they came back to the school. Um, students aren't, they're not, they're not gonna, they're not ready to learn English, math, science, and social studies when they have all of this, you know, all those other things going on in their heads. And so learning how to facilitate those critical conversations was key. So we brought that person in to do some trainings and has continued to support leadership um, in the schools that we serve. Um, food insecurity has been huge, um, ensuring that we bring communities around the table so that our students have their basic needs met in terms of food insecurity. And last but not least, one of the biggest challenges was communication. Um, when you have large English language learner populations, um, if you don't have good strategies and resources in place to get key messaging out to those populations, then they're missing out on all of what's available and those kids are, are not thriving. Um, and so we created an app this year that created a two-way communication in their language. So when we put community, community resources on there, those families were receiving access to those, those resources in their home language. Um, we connect community resources through family and community support. We provide parenting classes to, to parents. And last but not least, we provide teacher support. Um, we just finished a book study on push out, the decriminalization of black girls in schools. Um, as we, we led a, a community conversation around 90 educators signed up voluntarily over five weeks for an hour and a half every evening, every Thursday evening, 90 educators showed up each time. Um, one of the key findings or key takeaways was educators were saying, we never were taught this stuff. We never learned about trauma. We never learned about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. We never learned about cultural competent teaching. We didn't know that there was a specific way we had to approach this kid versus that kid in terms of the culture. We knew in terms of academics, our programs taught us how to teach English differently or teach math a different way or you know, reach kids, but never some of those critical things around social emotional learning. Um, and they said, we, we wish we had. And so they're relearning. These were, these were teachers that were in their first or second year just recently getting out of programs. Um, when I was principal at Tanglewood Middle School, um, on track actually really kind of changed my life. Um, it introduced the practice of mindfulness and trauma-informed schools and adverse childhood experiences to me as an assistant principal at the time. And um, I really learned the value and, and what this work is all about, what it's really all about. It's really about changing lives, right? It's not about, it's not about teaching them you know, a content. We don't teach content, we teach kids first. And so, um, again, I, I gained a greater, deeper understanding of my role. I had students that I taught that I would see in the newspaper that went to our schools that had killed someone or was in jail for, for robbery or all these things. And it was like all that work I did as an English teacher for all those years, 12, 12 13 years, it meant nothing if that was going to be their their um, their trajectory. So how do I change that and shift that trajectory? Is by equipping them with tools 
to deal with some of the mental stressors that they have, to deal with some of the trauma that they have. Um, and so I went on a three-year journey with my school to implement some deep change. Um, we went through Lives in the Balance training with Dr. Ross Green, learning the art of trauma-informed schools. We brought community partners in, and I made sure all my staff received adverse childhood experience training to understand how trauma impacts our students and how toxic stress can create um, those risky behaviors, early death, you know, physical health challenges, the asthma, all the things, the, the, the traumas. One of my first year teachers came up to me last year and said, I finally got it, Dr. Anderson, I got it. I will, I will give up two of my planning periods if you can reduce my classes from 20 to 25 down to about 10. He said, because I've realized that it's like ping pong. I have kids that have so much trauma and anger and stress built up that when, you know, they come in, a few kids get seated, there can be one kid who's having an off day because of something that happened last night, something that's going on in their lives. They come in and they're a spark and they spark the other 10. They spark the other 20 kids in the classroom. And now I'm playing ping pong, trying to get them all to sit down, to stop, to behave and listen. And by the time I get them all settled, no learning has taken place. So if I can reduce that class size down to a reasonable number and I can really do some work around social emotional learning earlier in the class and stop that from, you know, so he had this epiphany, you know, those are kind of the, 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 the takeaways from, from that experience. Um, in the second year, we implemented safe spaces and opportunities for students to breathe. I love that Yelena sat and pause and, and appreciate those moments. We had mindful moments every morning when a kid got into school that said, no matter what you, go, you went through last night, no matter what arguments you had in the car with your parent or sibling, I want you to breathe right now as a school. You're going to have a great day and just read positive quotes and positive messaging, letting them know they're safe with us. I'm letting them know that we understand. We provided a mindful room. We set up a mindful garden. Um, we raised $90,000 to put a one mile trail around the court, around our school to provide an outdoor space for learning, but also a mindful area for our students. Um, we implemented some school-wide social emotional learning. Um, and we tried to make sure every teach, school teacher, excuse me, every student felt part of a, of a community. Um, I will say that one of the things that I've learned this year are my yearnings, wonderings, longings, um, comes from Dr. Perry class. Um, she's from U uh, New York University and um, she really is in the kind of public health domain, but I recently heard her speak. I'm in a virtual seminar and she asked these questions. She said, do we know currently developmentally what our students have missed after a year of hybrid courses, virtual learning? Do we know? Do we know what their sleeping patterns are? So that when they come back to school, if they're sleeping the first, you know, first period, first two periods of the day, well, that's been their habit and pattern for the last year. Are we aware of what those patterns are in our communities? Um, are we going to suspend them? That's not going to do them any good. You know, what do we do? We know about their eating habits and their health right now. Do we know about our children with special needs in our community and how this has impacted them? Do we know about their suicidality, their mental health, the anxiety needs of our community? And have we given kids, I love this, have we given kids an opportunity to tell their story? Because we're listening to adults, we're having these sessions, we have an opportunity as, again, as professionals and adults to escape and take part in these kind of sessions. But do kids have that same outlet 
we've got to provide that space for them. So if you're a community member, if you're, you know, you're working at a community, figure out how you can provide space in your community for kids to share what they've been going through this year. As I said before, with teachers, if they don't allow kids to talk about those challenges, no learning is going to take place. Um, I would say what I want the public to know right now is that, and through our findings as well, is that one, self-care is important. <laughs> we can't give anything to kids if we don't give, if we don't take care of ourselves. Two, I would ensure um, that schools are implementing strong social emotional support in the schools that are around you. I mean, you can go to a board, board meeting. You have the right to do that as a taxpayer. And three, reflect on your own practices. Um, again, we can't expect others to, to, to lead practices that we don't lead ourselves. And so, sorry, I took a long time. I just felt like I need to build up kind of that background piece before I share where some of those yearnings and longings. So, thank you. I so appreciate you, EJ. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Linda Kelly. Can I go next? Okay. Oh, well, thank you so much, uh, Yelena, for inviting me. It's so nice to see you and to I've seen, I've met a few of you before, and it's lovely to see you again. Um, uh, I'm Linda Ryden, and I'm uh, the peace teacher at Lafayette Elementary School, which is uh, in Washington, D.C. It's the largest public elementary school here in D.C. And um, I'm also the uh, founder and co-director of Peace of Mind, which is a nonprofit that I started with my partner, Cheryl Godwell, who's also on this call. Um, and I'll talk about a little bit more about what that is. Um, but uh, I really, I got started with this work um, in about 2003. I had been teaching music and I was uh, sort of feeling unsatisfied and, and with that. And I actually went to hear um, a talk by Coleman McCarthy. I don't know if some of you may know Coleman, um, but he was a, he, he wrote for the Washington Post for a long time, but he was also really known for his peace activism work. and. He wrote a book um, after he retired called I'd Rather Teach Peace. And I went to hear him talk and I thought, oh gosh, I'd rather teach peace too. And I started thinking about what that would look like. And, um, and I created a, a class uh, that was mostly focused on conflict resolution and kindness and sort of thinking about the world and trying to address some of the things that I thought were missing from the curriculum at my kids' school. And, uh, and I, started as a volunteer and uh, it kept, kept growing and growing and there was more and more demand for this kind of, uh, uh, what was this sort of more deeper, maybe more spiritual kind of work in school instead of just the, you know, the, the academics. And so um, now I'm, I'm the full-time peace teacher at my school. It's a, I'm, I'm an employee of the, uh, Washington DC government. So it's kind of funny because they're employing a peace teacher, which, which I love. Um, and I teach, uh, and the model we have at our school is that I teach in the same way that the art and the music and the gym teacher teach that all the kids come to me for a peace class every week. And in that class, they're learning mindfulness and they're learning conflict resolution skills 
they're learning um, a little neuroscience so they understand what how their brains work and how it affects them when they get angry, especially. And they're also learning um, about social justice. And I think that uh, I had, when I first started teaching, I didn't teach mindfulness. I taught conflict resolution. And I realized that without um, the skills that they needed to recognize when they were getting sort of out of control feelings and, and, and without the skills to be able to calm themselves down, they really weren't able to work out conflicts. You know, no matter how, how long I uh, spent teaching them all these wonderful skills, they really couldn't access them without the mindfulness piece. So once they had that and they understood how their brains work, uh, they were able to put it all together. So mindfulness really became the foundation of everything that I teach. And, um, you know, I'll just give you sort of a picture of, of what happened in my classroom today. Um, I, was, um, I was teaching a class of fifth graders and this is all online. Um, I'm, I'm still virtual. Uh, my school is kind of hybrid. So I'm, I'm at home, a lot of the kids are at school. But I was, we always start our classes with a mindful moment and that I ask the students to lead. And these are students that I've been working with since they were in first grade. So we've been doing this for a long, long time. And the student who volunteered um, is a boy named Delante. And I was sort of surprised when he raised his hand because he has cerebral palsy and it's very difficult for him to move and it's very difficult for him to speak. And he was volunteering to lead this practice. And uh, so I was, I was really excited, but I was kind of nervous about how the kids were going to respond if they really couldn't understand him. But I had to put my trust in, in the ritual that we had created and the sort of the, the warm community that we had built. And so he started to lead the practice and, and every single kid, uh, you know, followed him exactly. They just knew what he was saying because they knew what he was supposed to say. And we had this beautiful moment. And uh, I think that's the kind of thing that is missing from school so often is the chances for kids to really come into their full humanity. And, and I really saw that today and it was beautiful. And, um, and then we spent the rest of the class talking about uh, stereotypes because we're learning right now about gender stereotypes as, and we're, this is part of a, uh, what we're, we're doing a Black Lives Matter year of purpose at our school. We used to do a, a week of action and, and decided that really wasn't nearly enough uh, time to spend on something so important. So we've, um, we're spending every month, we're focusing on a different principle of the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, so we're talking, learning about diversity, we're learning about, um, that's the theme for this month. And um, we're starting to learn about gender stereotypes and we're gonna work into racial and other stereotypes um, moving into next month. So the mindfulness piece underpins all of that. We're using our mindfulness skills um, to develop metacognition to, to really start to understand and sort of see our own thoughts so that we can see like what happens in our minds when we see somebody who might look different from us and how do we react and what associations do we have with that person? Because we can't change those things unless we know that they're there. So that's the kind of thing that we're focused on in peace class right now. And I think that for me, the thing that I feel like I'm 
I mean, I'm, I'm longing to go back to my classroom. I'm longing to see my students in person. I mean, the, the list of longings is, is long. But, uh, but one thing that I really am hoping for is that as more programs um, that include mindfulness and include social emotional learning come into schools, which is extremely important, I hope that we are being careful that we are teaching these skills in a context of social justice. Um, my work is really informed by the work of uh, Dr. Dina Simmons, and she's an abolitionist educator and scholar. And she uh, talks about how if we aren't teaching social emotional learning in the, in the context of systemic racism and in the context of white supremacy, that we are just giving kids the skills to help them cope with trauma, but we're not helping them really understand where the trauma is coming from. It's almost a, a kind of gaslighting. Like we're not, we're not gonna tell you really where all this trauma is coming from. And she says that without this, the nuance of that, without the context of, uh, without teaching the kids the context of systemic racism, she says that social emotional learning runs the risk of being what she calls white supremacy with a hug. And I think it's it's a big danger that we're facing in our schools as the as this social emotional learning movement grows, and it's so important. Um, it's it's really part of why I was so kind of happy um, to be able to talk to you guys tonight because I know you're thinking broader and thinking in terms of peace education. And to me, peace education is about social justice and it's about teaching kids about the world that they live in and that they have agency to make change in that world. And they should understand why they're angry. You know, if they're angry about the world, which, you know, so many kids have a right to be angry about the world they're living in, like, we need to explain to them what's going on. And we need to understand it. And we need to be dealing with it as, as the teachers and the adults in their lives. So that's really kind of what I'm hoping for. And as part of um, the, Cheryl and I started this nonprofit um, uh, several years ago to uh, to sort of spread the word about what I've been doing in my classes. And we've written curriculum um, from that spans from pre-K to, um, to middle school to help kids to learn all these different skills. And um, we've recently released um, a free downloadable uh, version of our social justice curriculum, which includes all these components of mindfulness um, and conflict resolution with um, a a much heavier a much heavier um, emphasis on the social justice and racial justice work that we that we're learning about and trying to bring to the students now. So, um, and we'd be happy to share with you more about peace of mind and and, uh, but I don't want to take up all all of the time. So I'll be happy to answer questions later, and I'll turn things over to Kelly. Thank you, Yelena and EJ and Linda. I really felt an affinity and just in great interest in both what you shared, EJ and Linda. So just taking a breath to um, really take that in and share gratitude for the calls of action for what you both said. So let's see, a little background about me. I've spent about 20 years as an educator um, I was a classroom teacher. I taught first grade and second grade. And then about eight years ago, 
I started working with adults and working with children teaching yoga and mindfulness first time um, for full time. And so the yoga piece is about just body awareness and becoming uh, to integrate a sense of agency and inner knowing in what's happening in their body. When Yelena asked me what my learnings or yearnings or longings were about the past year, the first thing that really came to my heart was um, this relational piece. So I work in an all-girls school in the South Bronx teaching yoga and mindfulness as a full-time teacher, similar to Linda, just similar to like an art teacher or a PE teacher. I serve all the students. But for the past year, um, well, this year, this school year, things are different than um, when COVID first happened, but I've been serving the students who are remote. But the thing that really struck me most when I think about what my school did well, which I'd love to share, is that immediately last March, a year ago, what happened is that every student in our school got a person of contact. And that meant every adult in our building had um, a list of 10 to 13 students that weekly we were checking in on their well-being and developing relationships. So just what I internalized from that on, in a really deep level was a healing of connection and um, just something different happened between the partnership between families and um, adults in our building, having that consistent person that you could go to. And it worked really well because our community was one of the hardest hit in the beginning of the pandemic. So we could really care for everyone in the community and make sure that everyone had what they needed and had a person to trust. So that's what I'd want to continue from the pandemic is that intimate space of connection with families and everyone in a school building. My yearning would really be a place for kids to be. I feel like that is one thing that COVID has taken away from kids on a lot of levels. Kids aren't walking in the hallways in the same way that they are. Um, one thing that I've done in my classes is um, like I have afternoon classes back to back with 15 minutes in between. And I have students that are just coming. They, they come like half an hour early and they just wait in the Zoom room. And so we just be together and drink our tea together before our actual class. And that's really given me the insight that our students just need time to hang out and listen to music and just be together. So that's been one solution for that. Um, but really what I feel like of our students need is a safe place to just to be curious about everything that's challenging and uncomfortable. And so that's what's been most important to me to give them a place to explore um, what's challenging and pleasant and unpleasant. So similarly as Linda, I wanted to just share a moment today what we explored in class today with my fifth graders, um, my girls. I had um, over the past couple of days, our students, I'm sure maybe Yelena and Linda, you're familiar with the book, Visiting Feelings. We read that book and our, my, my girls um, wrote a letter to themselves, choosing a feeling. So I just wanted to share a couple of them to uh, invite you into what it's like to be in a safe place to explore this um, discomfort 
was when the pandemic happened, one of my teachers said, this enormous gratitude that we're all feeling and this enormous uncertainty, it's always there. It's just really being um, spotlit right now. It's always there, it's always underneath the surface. And so um, how can we use this moment, this leveraging of the global um, highlighting of this uncertainty and also enormous gratitude for a community that's happening this common humanity, common experience of the pandemic. So one fifth grader, she chose to write to the emotion drained. She said, dear drained, I noticed that you have been coming by a lot recently and it makes my body feel heavy and weak. When I see you, you're blue, a very dark blue. I never know where you sit in my body. You never have a favorite place, but if you do, where? When do you feel, when do you leave that spot? Why do you always come, especially when it is the weekdays? Sometimes I feel great that you are here. Sometimes when you make me feel drained, I can tell it is because you want me to rest, but sometimes I can dislike it when you come by. Sometimes when I play some video games, my hands feel drained and weakened, so then I would have to stop playing but I can tell that you are trying to care for and not make me play too long because that could be bad for my mental health. So maybe you aren't that bad after all. So in other words from her, I really saw her deepening her understanding that all emotions have their place and that her draining emotion, her, her sense of being drained during the week is information for her to take care of herself. And I'll just share another one. Um, I really resonate with what Linda said, a sense of authenticity and autonomy of choice. Um, that's what I heard from you, Linda. And those are, that's my North Star with my students for them to always have a right to pass um, so that they can choose. And maybe it was agency that you said, a sense of um, really determining their own life through knowing themselves. <clears throat> so this student has been um, just exploring not knowing, exploring feeling unsure with what's happening for her. So she wrote a letter to her uncertainty. And she said today, dear uncertainty, when do you come for a visit? Why do you come to visit when I feel like being wrapped up in a blanket all day? Why are you the feeling that plays hide and seek behind the curtain of anger and sadness like an actor scared to act. Are you big or small? Why do you move through my body very fast? What color are you? Why do you give off negative energy and make your neighbor's organs feel like jelly? You make me feel like jello, but I invite you in, let you stay and let you explore. We explore each other with curiosity. You care for me as much as you want me to care about you. So I think for me, what my, um, my learning and my longing is, is for our kids to have a place where they can meet all of their, the parts of themselves with openness and tenderness, and that they can have relationships with people that support them to do that. And um, just like EJ said, that they can have people that are practicing that on their own. Because we can only 
explore with others as far as we've explored ourselves. Um, yeah, and I think I'll just close here in saying just the power of community. Um, consistent community to be able to um, trust and continue, you know, asking the question and, and being honest with ourselves and having a support for that. But my yearnings really are for students to be able to talk to each other and to simply be. So um, I think I want them to, to really have that. And I have a longing for that. Like Linda said, obviously she want, you wanna be with them. But I, I will say that technology has been incredible and I would like to leverage that when my students were writing their letters today in Google Docs, I could see what they were doing in real time and it was beautiful. And I would integrate that into my yoga room when I go back in the classroom. Yeah, so I'll pause there. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you so much, all three of you, Kelly, Linda, and EJ. I, I feel you've brought so much to the table um, and painted such a rich, rich picture. Um, we're a, a little bit behind our usual schedule and um, we usually have a pretty wide open um, question and answer and discussion, but I, I wonder if for a moment we could make space for um, any educators who are among us, if there are our teachers or school administrators or folks connected in education who were um, inspired or, or uh, prompted to, to raise any questions. If you have any questions for any of our, our panelists, um, this, is, this is a moment when you're, you're invited to speak up or share your own experience, anything you think was not brought to the surface or that you'd like to share from your own perspective. And uh, there are probably few enough of, of us that you can either raise a hand or just unmute yourself if you have something coming up for you. Can you, I don't know if you can hear me. I can. Oh, good. I'm sorry, I'm on my other system. My other system crashed. Um, boy, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling many different emotions right now because uh, I, I struggle with what's happening in the United States today when you have a president that is so um, disrespectful to humanity. And um, let, I'll try and put that out of my brain, but that that's just, I, I feel for all of you people trying to teach in that environment. I, I really don't know how it, it can be done. Having said that, we discovered a word about 20 years ago and I've been taking it around to peace conferences around the world. And it, uh, I guess I'm not a very good teacher because I, it hasn't gone the distance that I would like it to go. And I'll just share it with you. It's a quick, it's a, one word. The word is PO. It was introduced to the world in 1970 by Edward uh, de Bono. And the word doesn't mean anything. It means I need to know more. It's not when you're talking with someone about something and, and, and this is for kids. I, I've taught it to so many children. 
Uh, but I haven't got the educators. The educators themselves haven't grasped it yet. But kids get it right away. If you don't know the answer 100%, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, dealing with economics, ethics, energy, and health, you say, po. if you get it 100%, then you move on. So you, this way you can qualify your understanding of any piece of information. Uh, Gene Houston called it a language laxative. Um, I trust you all know Gene Houston. She is one of the leading teachers in the world today, in, again, in my opinion, in the, in this, in the humanities area especially since Barbara Marks Hubbard has passed on. But Barbara Marks Hubbard also brought forth a, a, a simple thing that people should be teaching from. It, it, it's called the co-creation wheel. It was just something that taught about relationships between everything. It was a whole world system design and, and it, it teaches how everything is interconnected. And I think educators ought to be using these tools, PO, the co-creation wheel. And then when they're ready, they'll learn about the UN Office of the Future, which is what I'm building right now. And uh, I won't uh, take you through all that because you, unless there's some questions, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you, Mitchell. Thanks for bring, bringing those things to the table. Yes, Deborah, what's on your mind? Um, I just want to say the word po in Hebrew means here. Ani po means I am here. I am present. And, um, and I want to thank all of you for such wonderful talks. And you hit on something that I study. I study the spirituality of young children, not looking at God and religion, but looking at wonder, awe, and joy and helping children learn their inner selves, to know themselves. And you touched on so many, like the deep connections of humanness between each other and uh, knowing yourself. Those are all qualities of spirituality. And when you speak about social emotional, if you add the spiritual, you're going deeper to the essence of the human being. It's, so I think of social as between each other and emotional and how you're feeling, but the spiritual is your essence, your, your deep inside. So I'll stop there. There's so much to talk about. Thanks, Deborah. Um, I'm, I'm gonna have to pause us there because we're, we're really running short on time, but I'm gonna invite folks. Um, if you, <clears throat> the, the action that we're asking folks to take is to, can reach out to educators that are in your lives and see what kind of support they might need. Um, they might ask, they might need advocacy. There may be many school districts where they do not have access to the practices that we've heard about this evening. We heard about some really leading edge practices in schools and school districts. So they may need an ally to go to school board meetings, to talk to city commissioners. They might need access to resources. They might need volunteer supports, they might need a listening ear. So that's my request to, to folks on this call and folks listening to the, the recording is to connect with educators in your lives and see how you might support them, see what's available um, and, and see how you may be able to support their work, possibly through sharing some of the tools and resources that you've heard about um, here this evening. 
Um, again, a, a deep heartfelt thanks to, to Linda and to Kelly and to EJ. Um, you brought so much to, to the surface and I so much appreciate the work that you're doing in the world. To me, it inspires hope and a sense of possibility. Um, I want to hand it over to Yelena to, to sort of say a final farewell because uh, we have a few more things on our agenda and you're welcome to stay with us for the rest of the call. But we also understand, I think you're all on the East Coast and it's getting kind of late and uh, probably it's time to, to bring the day to a close for many of us. So we'll understand if it's time for you to leave us, but you're welcome to stick around for the rest of the hour. Yelena, is there anything else you'd like to say to our guests? To, and thank you, Yelena, for, for for inviting our, our panel and for, for or helping organize with me. This is, I really appreciate this, this opportunity. Thank you, Dan. And I just have immense gratitude for the wisdom, the presence and the time um, that, you know, EJ and Linda and Kelly have gifted us. Um, you truly are gifts. Um, and um, I thank you so much. Um, it brings me to tears. Um, to know that um, you are educating our children. Thank you. Yes, yes. Um, so again, welcome to stick with us. If not, very good evening to you all and best wishes. And if we can support you moving forward, feel, please be in touch, um, stay connected. And if we can support each other, um, I, I know it's in the Peace, Peace Alliance's interests and high priorities to support the work that you all are doing. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Um, and now, quick handoff to Nancy Merritt, who is the uh, one of the also council leads and focuses on promoting the creation of a U.S. cabinet-level Department of Peacebuilding as one of her chief priorities. And she's going to give us an update on that campaign and activities. Over to you, Nancy. Okay. Um, well, I really want to thank the panel. I wish, wish, wish we had more time because. Um, one of the major portions of the Department of Peace Building Bill is peace education. And we just got some exciting new language into that bill uh, relating not only to mindfulness and restorative practices and all that kind of stuff, but teaching as part of peace education, uh, the civil rights movement, uh, the different, uh, you know, appreciating the different ethnicities and all of that kind of stuff. And so um, I wish we had more time to talk with this group about how, um, what they would like to see, how we, how a Department of Peace Building would be helpful to educators and what you all have so much to contribute. So I'd like, Love to love to hear more than more from them, but um, anyway, so we have to go on, I guess. And I just wish they were all had all been my teachers when I was younger, but I feel like they're my teachers now. <laughs> so, um, as I said, um, the uh, within the last couple of weeks, we've uh, had three bills introduced that relate to um, some really good stuff that we're working on. One is the uh, Department of Peace Building Bill of 2021. Uh, and then there are two House uh, concurrent resolutions uh, relating to uh, creating a commission for truth, racial healing and transformation. Um, so within the Department of Peace Building Bill is also a call for that commission and is recognition that uh, 
dealing with our racial issues is essential to peace and peace building. So that's part of um, part of what we have going on. Um, our group had a huge hand in the new bill. Um, a lot, almost all the new, all the changes, almost all of them are due to uh, people from the Department of Peace Building campaign. So um, we're very excited about that. And of course, a lot of that is learning that we've all acquired through doing all this stuff. Um, I want to thank Yelena also because uh, some of us, when we were advocating in Washington, D.C., were able to visit Lafayette School and go to a peace class. And it was really fun. I learned about uh, the value of uh, sharing each other's ice cream, favorite ice cream flavors in the, uh, in the peace process. So <laughs> anyway, so we did that. Um, so the Department of Peace Building bill uh, right now has, uh, it's brand new, so it doesn't have a lot of co-sponsors, but yesterday nine came on. Um, and then um, the other two bills have a lot more. They have like uh, around a hundred, well, the, I think 114 in the um, uh, House bill, which is also a Barbara Lee bill. And then in the Senate version, um, 13 senators, which is pretty good for a new bill, um, including our own brand new senator from California um, who replaced Kamala Harris. So we're excited about that. Um, what else? Um, there are a lot of new parts to the bill, but I don't think we have much time to go over them. Um, if you all, um, went to, we sent out an e-blast on February 18th when the bill was introduced and it gives a lot, it summarizes a lot of the new parts of the bill. So that would be a good start. One other thing I wanna add to the education piece of it is that we called for uh, violence prevention and violence de-escalation training for the general public too. So we, I mean, we think our whole society needs to learn what we're asking teachers to teach our children. So uh, we've embedded that into the bill, both um, domestically and internationally. Um, and other than that, I don't know, they, the Truth and Commission uh, one deals with uh, the plight of African-Americans, Native Americans, Mexican-Americans, Latin Americans, Puerto Rican citizens. Um, our treatment of the Chinese, the Japanese, the native Hawaiians, and the fact that we need a commission to um, examine all of this and to um, help us in the healing process going forward. So um, I, my ask to you all is to contact your members of Congress, your senators, and ask them to support these, these three bills. So there's much more, but I'll stop there. Thanks, Nancy. Thanks for all that um, Nancy, information. Can you, can you share the numbers of the bills for people? Do you have those? I do have them. Do you want me to type it in or just, um, so it's HR 1111 is the Department right. of Peace Building bill. Um, and then the two other, the Truth and Healing Commission, Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation is H Con Res 19 and S Con Res 6. Thank you. Great. Great stuff. Um, 
Yeah, so I wanted to save at least a couple of minutes for any of our updates from the field. If stuff's happening in your peace building work, um, we got just a few minutes to hear. If you could keep it to like a minute each to make sure there might be time for more than one person, that would be appreciated. Um, anybody have any news or announcements or updates in your current peace building work that you want to make folks aware of? Um, this is a time and we're all on whatever pace we're on. Some folks are doing lots of stuff relatively visibly. Some of us may be more lying fallow, hibernating, doing what we need to do. I, I have a quick one minute or, is, do I have the floor? Uh, yeah, please make it quick because you've, you've had some minutes already. So go ahead and hit us with it though. The most famous equation in the world is, is called E equals MC squared. When Einstein did that, he, he declared it that, that the unifying uh, equation. He left off the, another equal sign and the, 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 the second equal sign is followed by the word love. E equals MC squared equals love. Meditate on that for a while and get all your children to meditate on it. It will have an effect. That's okay. it. Thank you, thank you. Diane Novak, what's on your mind? And then Barb Chambliss, and that'll take us to the top of the hour. Diane? You should be able to unmute yourself. I can unmute you if you need. There you go. Okay, thank you, hi. Thank you, everybody. Hi. This is so inspiring. I wanna let you know that um, for the last several years, I have been doing an independent research and study that started with what does 21st century citizenship require of me? And mm -hmm. I thought about that, how would I know? And then I thought, well, everything I, I, I you know, I mean, I'm a senior member of We the People and uh, so far uh, all my, these decades, uh, it's been alluded to, and I see the, the parchment rolled up and whatever, but in terms of actually using that and whatever, well, um, the next question was then, who are we the people anyway? And I thought, well, go straight to the preamble. That's where we were first named, and there has to be some expectation with a name like that. And I just want to direct you to something. My research has... Um, shown me, I feel convinced that the preamble um, is a, a peace culture guide. If you take a look at the, at the um, I, I mean, it seems like we've had the beloved community right along, never knew it. Just take a look for yourself. Take a look at the at the preamble and we have this great legacy. I mean, there's more and I'm just going to go through real quickly. But what if we only had seven questions to ask and answer each of us collectively, individually? How am I forming a more perfect union? How am I establishing justice? How am I ensuring domestic tranquility? How am I providing for the common defense? How am I promoting the general welfare? How am I securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity? 
And finally, how am I ordaining and establishing the Constitution for the United States of America? The piece that we've missed um, for seven, the 1776 revolution was the most important part. And that was the evolutionary thinking that went along with this great American experiment. And I'm just really, and it is absolutely, um, anyway, um, something that I would appreciate if you all would explore and see what you think. And it's multi-generational. Um, the technology is there. You can put everything on a small card. You don't need a lot of words. You need a lot of action. Um, and uh, to know the difference between, uh, between our essence and our demographics and working from the, we've got all the solutions we need. To me, mental illness comes when we're stuck and we're stuck in the problems and, and they're pounded in and, and we have nowhere to go. And this has all the solutions and it's multi-generational. And I think it's just really exciting that we have been given a peace culture from the get-go and, uh, and, and it's been thwarted by self-serving politics when we have been given everything we need to build self-servant leaders because that's best practices for self-government. I'm done. But isn't that exciting? Very exciting. I love, I love your enthusiasm. We're, we're past the top of the hour, but I promised Barb Chambliss a few words. Can you keep it in 30 seconds and then we'll say good night? I can keep it in 30 seconds. Can you hear me? Yes, go. So I have published this book called Women Peacemakers, What We Can Learn From Them. There's a chapter in there about a woman in Rio de Janeiro who teaches kids in the streets. And she's developed a special educational program that's now all over Brazil and several places in the world um, about how to deal with kids that are deeply, deeply traumatized. And I would like to send a copy of this book to all three of the speakers tonight if somebody would give me their email contact. I'd say Yelena is probably your best bet. You can see how it's spelled, Yelena at peacealliance.org. We've, we've already exchanged email. I've, I put okay. my email in there in case anybody wants to do that, but that's my third Perfect. <laughs> beautiful. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Wishing a beautiful night to all of you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for caring. Thank you for sharing your enthusiasm. And please go out there and support our educators, people working to educate uh, kids of all ages in this culture are doing such intense, tremendous work. Uh, they're, they're exhibiting so much energy and creativity and ingenuity. I uh, just want to encourage folks to support your local educators, however you can figure out to do that. Um, good night, everybody. Feel free to unmute and say whatever you want to say. And I'm going to hang around for a few minutes and then shut it down. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't forget Poe. This is a reminder that the Peace On podcast aims to offer inspiring conversations and information towards enhancing awareness, well-being, and effective engagement with a larger community. Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance. Thank you for joining us.